As hilarious as that music may sound, it is not how I want to kick off my podcast. Welcome to the Michael Aldred Comedy Podcast. It's going to be so much fun where he makes humor of himself and the many things in New York City. Oh, and by the way, this is not the voice of Bruno. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Michael Oldroyd Comedy Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to episode 34. I'm very excited to welcome one of my friends. Uh, he's a fellow comedian. Uh, he's been doing this for a while. He's very funny. I met him here in New York on the comedy scene. We perform at the Lantern all the time. He lived in China for a while, which we're going to talk about tonight. Has a really cool story from the time that he went out there to um, starting a comedy club, which I'll, I'll get into later. Anyway, please, uh, let's give it up for Joe Schaefer. Joe, thanks for... Oh, thanks, everybody. Oh, no, please. Oh, no, not a standing ovation. Oh, come on. Don't. That's... Uh, I'll accept it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you lot have a lot of foreshadowing there, huh? I know. I, uh, I didn't mean to get too... Uh, I didn't mean to give away all your tricks at once, which I didn't. I didn't oh. give away all your tricks, but I, I gave them all tantalizing the audience. Yeah, I gave them some, some nuggets to chew on. Yeah, chew on those. Right up front. Um, so, Joe, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm, uh, you know, just been in New York a little over a year now. Feel like I'm plugged into the comedy scene. Feel like I'm one of the... I mean, it's it's an honor, right? It's a privilege. Oh, yeah. To be one of the elite. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, and we get to perform with, uh, and see, uh, Tons of comedy, good and bad, but there's definitely the best out here. Uh, Standing on Bleecker Street, I see comedians who are way more famous than me walk by all the time, and you know what? Being near them, there's some, there's almost like their their talent is wafting off. You can sort of get that on you, like yeah, yeah. like a like a like a pathogen filled sneeze, you know, just kind of sprayed on you, and like maybe it infects you a little bit. Yeah, with the with talent or whatever. How about some names? Who who uh, like Will Vince? Oh, I got a good story. I was barking on Bleecker Street. Uh, a little for for your listeners. Barking is when you stand out on the street and yell at people to come into your comedy show. Much like that show, Crashing. Much yeah, everybody. Well, that's now that everybody's seen Crashing, people will walk by and, and one of the one guy who's seen the show with and his group of friends will say. Uh, what he's doing, you see that pathetic guy in the corner? He's doing something called barking. Uh, yeah, it's it's really sad. Um, but everybody just look at... No, don't look directly at him. Give a sideways <laughs> glance. And I'm like, uh, yeah. You, it's uh, it's like a uh, like an exhibit. Yeah. Right? I preferred like it when people didn't know, you know what I was doing. They just thought I was... Like now it's... They, they, they've seen behind the curtain. Yeah, well, in, with the show crashing, you're saying since they since they know what it is now, they're like analyzing it or whatever, right? And able to kind of dissect it themselves rather than just seeing it. They give it a good think, and often it's like the the, the conclusion is like, oh, that's aw. oh, and I'm like, don't I don't need your pity. Yeah. Like it's not a hor a horrible thing. You're just it's like what well, it's the hustle. We yeah. get out here, you know, we gotta get up on stage. Sometimes you gotta get out there and make make yourself yeah. an audience. Yeah, and the cool thing is is. Uh, and I, I bark uh, sometimes, you bark sometimes, but... Sometimes we bark together. Sometimes we bark together, and sometimes we don't bark. Sometimes we get spots, sometimes we get booked at different shows, um, so... And sometimes on a on a dark night, when the moon is full, I howl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, 
we, we held together. You know, it's funny because uh, I was just uh, writing some, some of my humor and a lot of my friends back home are married now. So I kind of describe myself as the lone wolf, right? Oh, yeah. I'm the only one who's still single, but apparently I, I have another uh, lone wolf. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am a lone wolf. I am one of the last few. Actually, my roommate and I are both from the same hometown, but we're we're a couple of the last few dudes from our tiny village who have yet to make a family. Yeah. We're just lifelong bachelors, and since we live together, of course, everyone assumes we're gay. <laughs> Everybody in our building. It's like funny that the our, our uh, super is always like, "So yeah, um, you got your roommate?" Sorry, and you're like. <laughs> that question they don't want to like offend you but they yeah. want to find out what's going on it's like, yeah, what uh, is this partnership so, so you mentioned from your same village yeah when you say that can you expound on village because is that in china or village that's that's usually not a term that i hear coming from the u.s so can you expound i am not i was not born in china um for for the people who can't see i am a caucasian man um uh, no I, I grew up in a little village in ohio it's a 4,000 person, I guess that, you know, when something is that small, it is, village is the correct okay. nomenclature, but yeah, it's tiny little, and it, and it feels like a village. It's yeah. got its own little personality. Uh, it's a very, it's like a little hippie like town. Village, no. <laughs> it's well, a, a lot more rustic than that, yeah. uh, a lot more provincial than that, but it's, so Yellow Springs is famous. It's a college town. There's a university there called Antioch University, which is Actually, Yellow Springs uh, got famous in the 70s. It was a, in 60s and 70s because it was a real center of protest, uh, like a lot of protesting about the Vietnam War, and it was a real focal point of the, you know, the the, the um, counterculture movement and all that in the 60s and 70s. So it became this place where all these hippies uh, gravitated towards. And you got to understand, this is rural Ohio, so everything around it is very red. Okay. Right. Okay. I mean, yeah. it's all like, yep, yeah, good old boys and graders and Appalachian folk. Because it's, you know, it's like uh, near Kentucky. You get that a little bit of that Kentucky runoff. Would you Kentucky say that the area UN was blue, though? Our village is extremely blue. Wow. I mean, it went beyond blue. Like, it's purple. Like, it's Bernie Sanders is excuse too right for us. You know wow. what I mean? Like Interesting how that dynamic is, like, right there in the middle of it. I wonder what... So what it's, caused that, do you think? The university. Oh, that's right. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and yeah, and, and it's, we're like a joke, of course. That, oh, it's some of them Yellow Springs people, you know, hippies and whatnot. Like, they all think we're silly and it's, it's sort of renowned in our area. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's a weird, it's a weird little place where it's like very, 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 very counterculture, very full of, you know, people who you just have this sort of streak of, of, um, you know, of, of, of kids that want to, you know, reject the, the norms, you know, it's full yeah. of a lot of yeah. like people Rebels. bare feet and, and, you know, dyed hair and okay. yeah, it's, it's some, an interesting uh, place. Some, uh, some partiers in the seventies, I assume during the Vietnam. Well, a lot, a lot of acid. Uh, yeah. Acid is what a I lot of psychedelics for sure. Yeah. I mean, Antioch is, is a place it, the, the school itself. I mean, there's no grades and it's all, you know, super liberal arts it sounds like a, a good place for Woodstock oh yeah 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 I'm Woodstock sure there were a lot of Yellow yeah, Springs people that you know uh, carpooled to Woodstock yeah. in those days for sure that's cool well I didn't even I didn't know that I appreciate you sharing um, yeah very cool so 
yeah, Joe and I are, are in a similar boat out here in New York. We, we each come from completely different, uh, not, I wouldn't say completely different parts of the country because I lived in the Midwest for a while, but we have completely different paths, I guess you could say, and it's, it's kind of cool how our paths have kind of crossed and come together. Sure. I, I feel like we have a lot in common in a lot of ways. Um, Joe's one of, uh, one of my friends, guys. You know, I feel like... Um, recent friends. I feel yeah. like we've recently... Become more better friends. I, the, the, you, we made it official the other night. Yeah, we did. We, hug. we hung out. <laughs> we hung out and we hugged, bro. <laughs> Super fucking like a head or a hug, man. Yeah, it was yeah. just, you know, a lot of back padding. That's what you could yeah. tell when it's like a yeah. real dude hug. It's a, a real lot of padding. It's a real bromance. Real bromance. Um, um, but yeah, and also, because I, I remember the first... The first time I met you, you kind of I was standing in front of the lantern barking, and uh, you just sort of wandered up, like, all like, uh, hey man, did they do comedy here? And you were very, you know, I had no, the thing about New York, I gotta say, I gotta, like, preface this by saying, like, there's so many, so many people who are trying to do comedy, and it's, and it's almost silly how people, you, you got a lot of people that are very low level. Yeah. That have done like some open mics and they and they'll come up and be like oh so and and the most insulting thing ever is when they come up to your show you're putting on they're like oh this, so this is an open mic or whatever how can I sign up and you're like no these are <laughs> these are comedians they were actually doing a real show yeah. um, <laughs> I know it's not an open mic uh, it may seem like it but but you came up so I didn't really know, you know anything about me. I didn't know you and I was like oh because you, you you're always a little guarded because you know you don't want to if somebody's like awful yeah. at comedy yeah you don't you can't be letting anybody in, in the right. front door. There's a little, you got to be a little protective. There's just so many people that there's some. You know, I don't want to be like exclusive or anything. But anyway, I saw yeah, we, we've got a good thing at the lantern. It's not it's not something that anybody can just naturally just walk into. Sure, you know? but I, I I was like this guy. I was like this guy seems good. So I gave you some like tutelage. I passed on yeah. some. I gave you the secret the secret code. Yeah. The the uh, password to enter the lantern. Um, and I appreciate it, Joe. Which yeah. Was uh, um, and then you ended up being when I saw you on stage. Like, there's nothing when you when you sort of take a chance on somebody like that, and you finally see them on stage, and you're like, oh, thank God, they're they're good at comedy <laughs> because there, uh, yeah, plenty of people that in New York, you know, that are uh, really bad. Well, I appreciate it, man. That shows that you uh, you took a gamble, you know, um, and uh, and and I really I appreciate it. I'm I'm really happy that we've. You know, the, the team has really let me in at the Lantern, and I really like everybody there. I think we have a really it's good, good group. Day. Yeah, yeah, it's a really fun group of people and, and talented. Honestly, I think several of us I can really see going on and and being successful. Honestly, you know, I, I think. Really, and the game tends to be discovering those people, hitching your wagon onto them, and then <laughs> whipping them on. Giddy up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't forget me when you get famous. Or vice versa. I mean, I could see you, you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, if I get big, yourself, I, I don't won't. Don't sell yourself short, bro. And no, if I get big, I'm cutting ties with all you assholes. <laughs> Fuck you, Michael Oldroyd. I'm going to remember you, man. Once I'm at the top, man, once I got my TV show, don't worry, whatever. I'll send you a postcard. I'll, I'll send you a, 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 the DVD collection of my show for, uh, you know, for wholesale price. You'll, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, you'll try to sell me some of your products. Uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, you already did me. You already did me the favor of letting me in at Lantern. What do you owe me at this yeah, point? Yeah, bro, when are you going to pay me back for that one? <laughs> um, 
but yeah, uh, I love I love watching your stuff too. Uh, one of the things I'll say is, uh, and I've already told you this, but I think you're really good at impressions and your story. Having lived in China for so long, I really like how that comes out on stage. Uh, you really kind of open up and, and get deep, and and you do different types of impersonations from the Asian culture, uh, which they're always extremely entertaining. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's a little sensitive. Obviously. So I was gone for 12 years. I lived in China and a year in Japan as well. For 12 years you were in? Yeah. And then I also in college was, so my major was Japanese. That was my first love of East Asia. And And then where where did you get that? Sorry. What school? Ohio State. Okay. Okay. So I grew up in Ohio, went to Ohio State. And right after I was like, East Asia was always my love in life. So I went out there and just kind of never came back. Uh, spent my entire adult life there. So obviously when I was coming back, everybody's like, oh man, it's all this moral panic, all this uh, sort of liberal identity politics, everybody, racial tension. And uh, and then now I'm back and I, I like to do some accents. You know, <laughs> do like a little Chinese, Japanese, and, and most people laugh at it, but then there's others. Some people get a little offended. Well, they're, they're not offended so much as they're, they're worried. You know, it's it's like everybody. There, it's itis. There's a, an itis going on in the country right now. Well, there's a, there's a moral panic. Everybody's so panicked about about it that they're not sure. They're like, oh, that that doesn't. It seems. Am I, am I allowed to feel how I feel? Right. Am like I allowed a, to express laughter towards something that I think is funny because it's so. Because it's such a sensitive topic right now that I don't want to present myself as an insensitive asshole. But I'll, here, here, here's my take on it. And because I have, you know, uh, ethnic, of course, these are mostly uh, white people that are freaking out. But like my, you know, Fumi, you know, Fumi, Japanese comedian, like he's heard me do my Japanese accent. And it's not, there's a, there's a big difference that you don't really think about, but that I, I'm, I'm keenly aware of where you have accents that are funny because of the accent. Like, yeah. you're doing it in a cartoonish way. Like, oh, hurrah, I'm a Japanese! Like, that's... You're the, you're doing a, a, a caricature of the accent. Yeah, yeah. And that is offensive. But when I do my Japanese accent, it's because I can speak Japanese. Yeah. I've, you know, lived with Japanese you're people in Japan. Okay. It is comes from a place of, A, accuracy, B, love, and C, the joke is never the accent, if yeah. that makes sense. The joke is and never, like... you're not like, making fun of either the accent or anyone who... Speaks right. The joke is not, look how these people talk funny. The joke is, you know, uh, this is the perspective of something from a Japanese person that I'm able to, Tap you know, uh, parrot well. Like, I'm good at doing it. It helps. When you speak a language, you can then, it's much easier to yeah. emulate their accent. I don't want to put you on the spot. Is there anything you'd be willing to kind of present for the listeners? Absolutely there? not. I get I said, fuck no man. You trying to throw me under the bus oh. here? Have a, I don't want a bunch of Michael Orroy podcast listeners calling up complaining. No, uh, uh, they have to watch you on stage. My my, my Japanese accent is uh, so it's very like samurai. Yeah, you know because that's I I grew up watching those uh, Kurosawa Akira movies. Which yeah, you, yeah. I've been trying to get yeah, you to watch them. I have, I've, and I typed it in IMDb. I, I love this. You're like, bro, I typed it into IMDb. I saw the movie poster. So I'm like, one step <laughs> next, you know, uh, 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 the next step is I'm going to find like, the Amazon link and look at it for a while, put it on my wish list. Notify but, uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> Feel good about myself because I followed through on something I said I'd do. Uh, no, I really do. I am interested. So I, here, so this is like a, a samurai, I would say. Uh, Michael Rodroido. 
オードロイド、You should watch movie. I tell you about. I don't know. It feels so wrong after talking about. No, you know what? I know this sounds weird, and I don't want to be selfish here, because first of all, I love that.、Um, I almost, for a second. You believe I'm a Japanese? I love it. And, and here's the thing I'm almost like. What the listeners can't see is I'm also doing Asian eyes at the same time. <laughs> no, that's Kenya. <laughs> By the way, I'm part Asian. My mom grew up in the Philippines, guys, so I feel like. So it's all good. I'm, I'm part Asian.、Anyway. Don't call up, don't call up and complain. You're、people. part Asian. Don't call. No. <laughs> you don't know. This is a real Japanese man here. <laughs> Joe Schaefer only bring me next to him. <laughs> We are friends. <laughs> well, I have given Shogun as a cord and given blessing from Kanagawa Prefecture. <laughs> you know what? I, I again, I don't, I don't want to be selfish here, but. Bow before talk to me! <laughs> okay, I'm bowing. Like a Rodoroid does not know respect. <laughs> In my day, if you make such insult to person, you would take a small sword. And open stomach. <laughs> Kill yourself in the most painful way possible. <laughs> This is the way of a samurai. Well, I don't want to be disrespectful in any way.、Um, and, and frankly,、uh, I, I love the accent so much, and it, I, I almost like, feel it that I. That I wish you could maybe give me some advice in samurai. Like, like for a second, I just want to pretend that I'm. I want to close my eyes and get advice from. Is, is that asking for too much? First thing, my girl, Odroid san, what you must do is look at self. And、uh, you must dress for success. So, my first piece of advice is、uh, maybe stop wearing sweatpants. <laughs> Number one, I can see you have half erection. Very embarrassing. That I see chubby, chubby, chubby coming out like a small sword. Little fresh sword. Oh man. Second, maybe get、uh, slacks or pants. I'm trying to say. Slacks, you know, slacks, Michael Odroid son, slacks. It is、uh, not like jeans, like a khaki, <laughs> or、uh, like the, some corduroy. Okay. You know, corduroy? Yeah, corduroy, yeah. And slacks. Slacks is a type Sorry, I cannot make a L sound. <laughs> no, basically, you're saying stop wearing sweatpants and wear slacks or corduroy type pants. Yes. Many people will stop, stop laugh at you. Yeah. Now yeah. everyone say, ha 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 ha, Odroid san, ridiculous man. <laughs> Look at him. Always in sweatpants and dirty tees. <laughs> so many dirty tees. How can one man have so many dirty tees? Have mustard stain on. <laughs> Like he only e a t a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Never I, use a table. <laughs> I don't even want to talk and interrupt. This is awesome.、Um, I can do this all day. I mean, you're, first of all, you're, you're, not, you're hitting the nail on the head. There was actually 
I don't want to veer, but you, there's a girl that I was hanging out with that was... She talked just like that? <laughs> Hello, my name is Michiko. Yeah. Uh, I know that my Tinder profile, look, I did not have a beard there, but unfortunately I grew one last night. But I promise I am a girl. <laughs> I'm so happy I had you uh, join us on this podcast today. This is awesome. Um... I was going to say, though, there's a girl, and I think I told you about her over the weekend when we out, that went out, that uh, there's a girl that we're, we're, we're not friends, we're not friends with benefits, and we're not in a relationship, we're just benefits, and she, she basically is always hating on me, and one of the things that she tells me is that I need to, like, dress nicer when I'm in her, in her presence. Oh, boy, she sounds fun. It's a turnoff for her, the type of clothes that I wear. So and I you're think, like, I think, or I can just take these clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> No complaints about my clothes when I'm naked. <laughs> exactly. This is my Oldroy the Sun impression, by the way. Yeah, man. Michael Oldroy. <laughs> okay. Can you... Yeah, I want to hear yeah. that. I want to hear that. It's like, fucking... This chick comes over, man. Super judgmental. I'm like, yo. All that matters is what's underneath, right? <laughs> You're not here for the clothes. You're here for the gooey center. You know what I'm saying? I love Remember it. that fucking nougat middle mm. <laughs> I feel like that's uh, I, I, I hear California in your voice and that's flattering for me because I'm from California originally you know so like I hope that impression is accurate because it sounds cool I think right now your listeners can't tell they're like is Michael Oldroy doing a podcast with himself <laughs> which what, I, which what kind of self-centered bullshit is this which I do sometimes when I don't have guests so they you yeah. know uh, do you do other characters or do you just uh, I don't know. I, I do. Sometimes when I'm like in my own zone, I just kind of like get. I, I kind of like do weird voices. You did like a German thing at the up front, right? Oh yeah, like a. Like, a this is a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> welcome. Yeah, exactly. See, so you got all these voices, man. I, uh, I am German of German heritage. Oh, I'm Bruno. We should hang out sometime. You seem like you're lots of fun. Yeah, maybe. I don't... I think you must be more fashionable. <laughs> Come back, talk to me later when you are wearing some Versace. Well, I just uh, spoke with the, this person from Japan. He told me... He gave me some good advice about which type of pants oh, I should yes. wear. Oh, yes. Japanese, they dress very nice. You know? They, are, they, they really uh, pay a lot of attention to the clothes. Yes, and, you know, I'm going to go to the store and get some corduroy so that, you know, when I come back, perhaps we can hang out as friends now so that you feel like what I wear. If, uh, corduroys are so 1997. What I'm wearing these days is not even pants. It's just sort of a smock. Like, <laughs> like just... It, it's sort of like, um, like a poncho that just goes down my body, you know, like a one-piece... I am so jealous right now. It's it's um. You I know, can see you have so much jealousy pouring out of you. I used to wear you know a man song, which is you know just a simple you know piece of cloth that you know covers the penis, right? Oh <laughs> yeah, there. like a loin cloth. But I, I thought that that kind of went out of style, so I, I, I sort of you know moved on and, and opened to the ideas of like the corduroy from. The Japanese. Uh, I last week I purchased um, an item. It is a it is a corduroy loincloth. 
It is only a loincloth which covers my genitals, but it is made of a corduroy material. You know, these ridges feel good on on my gonads. You know, that is such a impressive. Um, you know, whoever came up with with that style, I'm truly inspired. And and frankly, I I think that I would love to. You know go to the auto shop and wear that when the mechanic like rolls out from under the car mm. so you know so that his head is right <laughs> on between your legs and he's looking up and all he's seeing is sort of hairy size and a, a corduroy pouch which has, a, which has your genitals inside well yes unless I um, recently got the Brazilian vax that um I uh, like to do from time to time, and and you know I like to change the look. You know? Oh, you 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 like to be um all stripped clean, <laughs> is that right? It's all it's the 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 lawn is mowed down there. <laughs> it's the the lawn has been um, plucked, if you will. Is it like a is it like a piece of of glass that has been polished with Vindex? Could I see my reflection in your size if I were a mechanic wheeled out in between your legs and looked up? That is the goal, you see. I, I would like to be a multifunctional human being and when I can provide uh, the mirror type uh, function to mechanics, that, that makes me very, very happy. I agree. We are only as valuable as our function to society. We can always have more functions. I've always aspired to be a multifunctional man. <laughs> well, aren't we just two peas in a pod? We are. I like it. <laughs> Let's go to a disco. <laughs> man, this is fun, dude, huh? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just like, let's just going. Yeah, man. We're, uh, we're improv. Pulling up the anchor and just setting off. <laughs> See where we end up. <laughs> See where this little schooner takes us. Yeah, I think uh, I can't speak for the the listeners, but I can say that uh, I have a feeling that they're entertained. Unless they are Japanese or German, and then they're <laughs> they're punching their uh, iPhone right now. They're like, who? Access <laughs> <laughs> <Texas> of evil. <laughs> you know what? If you're Japanese or German, all I got to say to you is, um, <coughs> shouldn't uh, you know? I still hold up grudge for World War Two. Ah. Get it? That's very astute. That's very astute. Or the Austrian. <laughs> the Austrian. That's Austrian. Hey. I met a guy who was from the same village as Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I swear to God, he, his accent was exactly the same. Really? Yeah. He's like, I know Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm from the same village. From a mountain in Austria. It's true. I also met a guy who was from the same town as, um, uh, what's his face? Sean Connery. Same accent as well. I just, I love do a, Sean yeah. Connery's accent Go as well. Sean, I don't know if I can do Sean Connery. He's, well, he's got a very unique, no, I can't really do it. Scottish. It's, it's a bit Scottish, but it's also, I, I can't do it. It's Would weird. Like it's, it's a very singular thing. Would you like to riff in Scottish? Kind of. You're, you're missing that Connery, like, growl. Like oh, well, like I'm a, doing more of a Scottish right now rather than, uh, you know... Like, you're doing, like, overt... You're doing, Scottish. like, train train spotting. Like, tri, train spotting? No. 
It's more of an like Irish. Like a Glasgow? We're doing more of an Irish right now. Scottish is more of a, you know, I'm from Edinburgh, uh, you know, JK rolling. Everybody here talks about JK. Ziggy Allen from Scotland? Well, she's English. Oh, yeah, now I'm doing an Irish. But, the, but, but, like, but Sean Connery doesn't have, like, that overt accent. It's, like, very subtle. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you had a good grasp on it. Morning, Penny. Morning, Penny. That's all I can say. Um, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to do bad accents on this podcast. Okay, well, Delete I, that. I think you've done um, some good podcasts, or some good accents, man. Well, hopefully I, I uh, built up some goodwill before I just tarnished my reputation there. But, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, my point is I've met people from these specific towns and that, yeah, it's like, it's, it's not just the people necessarily. They didn't come up with their own individual accent. It's like, it's the, you know, because in Europe, these are old, in those old cultures, the uh, the regions the, the regional accents are so much more localized you know unlike yeah. America which is so young so our regional accents are subtle and they're widespread but in like you go to like England you know yeah even I mean England is like a small a northeast England I forget what it's called right. it's like Manchester yeah yeah it's up north they talk like the Beatles nice then you know you've got more of you're like a, a stronger um, I forget which Aye. part of England, but it's more of a, like a, a stronger like Aye. bloke. Uh, <clears throat> well, up north, it's almost you know, it leads into the Scottish. It becomes more of like a. a uh, I know, like I've met people from Northern England that I thought were Scottish, and they were like, "No, I'm just from Northern England." Yeah. But that's but it's you know for such a small island that has so many regional yeah. accents, yeah. it's it's uh, crazy. Yeah, and then you have like, do you want to go to the pitch? Play basketball. Which which region is that? I don't know. It's it's a region we <laughs> haven't talked about. To go play basketball. Yeah, yeah. That's a different region. I don't know what region it is, but it's not the ones that we talked about. It's a different one. <laughs> it's a different region, bruh. Yeah. Um. I don't know what that one was. Is that like Michael Caine? <laughs> oh yeah, I like Michael Caine. Um. Perhaps. Right, let me do a Michael Caine. No, Michael Caine's like very dirty, you know? Like London. Michael Caine. <laughs> Perhaps we should stop trying to outsmart the truth and let it have its stay. Was that, is that from, uh... The Dark Knight. Oh. Whenever he's talking about, um... When he reveals that Rachel actually chose Harvey Dent and he, like, destroys... Jeez, Bruce, Bruce You've Wayne's seen that movie more than once, huh? Yeah. He's like, why would you tell me this? And he's like, I know... What this means, Bruce, uh, it might mean losing the only person I've ever cared about from the first time I've heard his cries echoing through this house. Is that a British guy by way of Kentucky? That was a that was a sorry, amalgamation of all kinds of. Comes, I think I met my match when it comes to impersonations. He over here critiquing me. <laughs> no, I mean you know, I, it's it's uh, just busting your balls. We're no, all it's true. You know, I, I could use improvement on my Michael Caine. I don't. I mean, British. I, I don't <clears> claim to be any British exit either. It's 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 hard. I mean, I I I think I'm good. Every time I think I'm nailing it, like I have a British person sitting in front of me, just dry heaving. <laughs> You fucking asshole, what you do to my language is like a fucking genocide. It's a language genocide. That sounds like uh, Russell Brand right there. Yeah, that's what I was listening to recently. Also, I was, uh, I've was i been watching a lot. Of, you ever seen The British Office? 
Uh, I've heard all about it. I heard it's really successful. I oh, I watch it once a year. It's like maybe my favorite comedy show ever. It's so good. Is it better than the American Office? Honestly, I, I've not seen the American <laughs> Office, but a couple episodes. I, I imagine it's just different. I mean, the, the, the British one is just so subtle. Like, there's so many layers to it that you just, every time I watch it, I'm blown away with the, the, the subtlety of it. Like, it's yeah. not, I, I'm going to guess the American one a little more like overt comedy like the British one is is, is very they, they go for realism and like ah, it, it's it's also a lot of cringe comedy oh really okay especially as it progresses it gets because there's only maybe 15 episodes of the whole thing yeah. but as it goes from front to back it, it it stops being funny and becomes more just like the last couple episodes which is the Christmas special are physically painful to watch. Like I, I squirm in my chair and I have to stop it for a while and like wow. get a breather because this, he, they create these moments intentionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll but, have to uh, check it out. Yeah, you should watch it. It's, yeah. it's on Netflix. You can you can plow through it in like a week. You know, I I will. You know, I, speaking of that, it's funny how like different uh, parts of the world have different senses of humor. You can like see some distinct differences with British humor. American humor in some ways, even though, you know, there, there's varied types within that. But uh, I like to, like, I've YouTube like, uh, even, like, uh, a- Asian humor, like, a lot of pranks, um, a lot of, like, silly, like, I've seen stuff on YouTube where, like, you, you just see, like, a, a big mob of people that, like, there's, be, like, one person walking down the street, and then they've hired or set up, like, Didn't they just beat him to death? Well... <laughs> you were watching, you were watching, uh... <laughs> So you're, you're watching political prisoners be <laughs> well, executed. No. You stumbled on the wrong video. You go, ha this is funny stuff. And you look, it's like Chinese prison. It's like yeah. a 2009. I was like, oh, wait, that was real. No. Uh, no, but the funny thing is, is like the mob comes like to this one person that's just walking down the street and they like surround him. And in the, the humor is just watching how he reacts. Like that's to a it. Bukaki video. Once again, <laughs> you've completely missed the point. By the way, Bukaki originates in Japan. Did you know that? Bukake is a Japanese word, yeah. yeah. It's sad. It's kind of well, What's dark. sad about that? It's dark. Do you know what they used to do? I don't know if Are I... You're going to tell me the history of Bukake? Holy shit. This well, conversation you, you know, pivoted. It's got a dark past, right? As far as... Are you talking about the, the okie cookie? Wait, what is that? Bukake. You're doing a, a swiping motion where people uh, kill? Yeah. Did they used to... You want to talk about the ultimate... Objectification toward women and just evil. I don't even want to guess on this one. I I don't even think we should. I think I'm gonna not talk about. Let's Bukaki let's let the listeners guess. delve into that if they dare. Yeah. If you dare, look up the history of Bukake. I I I quick pronunciation by those Bukake. Oh wow! Which, uh, this dude is is uh, freaking like corrected me on my. Hey, you must know <laughs> Bukake is a very is a cultural. Uh, it is a very uh, uh, treasure of Japan. Wow. We take it very serious. Will Sometimes you... Prime Minister will gather all of uh, legislature into Parliament. And they will have a raw. They will put in the middle of the room and all do bukake on them. A raw? A raw. What's a raw? L-A-W. Raw. Which is? I cannot... 
LAW You know R- Raw Registrature The Registrature Oh LAW So this Yes <laughs> They take a Raw And uh, <laughs> put it in Parliament Registrature <laughs> Or come Senator and Magistrate And then they do Bukake Wow. It help uh, overcome a bipartisanship. Partisanship very bad. And the Bukake can make right and left come together into big middle bona. Is this a true thing? Or you... The real thing. <laughs> Sometimes you watch uh, Japanese politics. Well, I can a, say that. A I imagine that this type of Bukake is different than the original. The origination of the... Yeah, I don't... Let's, that sounds horrible. What the f- hell videos have you been... No, well... I, I feel bad saying but I almost feel like I have to now because we've been talking about it so much. No, let's... let's not, right. The listeners need to find that out on their own. The, what I will say is I don't think mystery. Joe even knows the history of Bukaki. I do not. And if he did, I think that he wouldn't have said some of those things in a, in a positive way light toward Bukaki. Joe's oh, a great Jesus. guy so <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I, I just know it from it's disgusting porn roots yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. Um, but anyway <laughs> it's I, lived, I lived out there I, we're just I, hitting the full spectrum on you know culture oh uh, yeah it got dirty but you know what we're, we're gonna shower ourselves off and come out of this clean yeah so yeah. let's <clears throat> talk about it. so you you kind of question you know you played football oh yeah everybody knows you're uh you were uh, going pro there until well, you get stymied by what an injury. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I appreciate that. You, you, you kind of hear. I think you have a bigger perception of me in your mind than, um, than what had taken place. What and actually, my friend Tommy Saunders, who was on the last podcast, was uh, was on the team with me, and he was a star at Mizzou. Uh, Division A. Division. <laughs> was that you who said that? Yeah. We were talking about football, and, and he's like, "Oh, I heard you were in Division A." <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, I'm not. Hey, I'm busting your balls, bro. Um, oh, they're swollen. <laughs> no, but uh, I was. Um, I was on. I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to join the Missouri football team as a walk-on in 2006, and over the next couple of years, we. Um, skyrocketed to, to becoming one of the best teams uh, it might have been the best team in school history depending on how you define it but we were ranked number one in the nation at one point and I was also at the best of my athleticism um, that I had ever been I was a walk on I hadn't achieved uh, did you have a six pack bro? <laughs> yeah and I still use those uh, stock photos to send Oh Jesus! Uh, on uh, you know that I haven't met. Please tell me you don't have one where you're standing in the bathroom and you take it in the mirror and you're pulling the shirt up with one hand, with Just, one hand. Shirt was already off, you know. Oh my God! But no, I, I don't like the bait and switch, so I try not to do that too often. You know? <laughs> Full disclosure: This was taken ten years ago. <laughs> No, I won't say this is me now. I'll just send it to him. Be like, "What do you think of that?" That way, I'm not really lying, but I'm getting a gauge for their interest. <laughs> and you're like, "Yeah, girl." If I worked out for a year straight and yeah. uh, totally corrected my diet, yeah, yeah I could have this. I'm I like, could have this back. I'm like, "Well, I show her the picture." She's like, "Oh, I like that." I'm like, "So you want to hang out?" She's like, "Yeah." And then once we kind of set a time and location, as we're on our way, I'm like, "Hey, because I'm an honest guy, I just want to let you know that." By the way, that picture was taken 10 years ago. 
Guys, I'm bullshitting. I don't really send my own six pack. I, I've done it before, maybe once yeah, or twice. Do. I don't know. Yeah, you do. Not rarely. It's yeah, not on my phone. Rarely. Rarely. I mean, like, once a week. <laughs> At most. Um, uh, but to answer your question, um, I was, uh, I, I was, uh, when you, when you take the metrics of evaluations, like the testing, we would do testing in football, you know, kind of break it down. Like in comedy, I was talking to a couple of comedians the other night, like in comedy, you can talk about how good is your crowd work? How good is your ability to, to execute your material? How, how good are you engaging audiences? How good are you at closing? You know, there's different fundamental aspects to being a stand-up comedian that you can actually break down and, and analyze. And, and it's the same for football. And they would do these things by measuring time and, and strength and all these things. And, you know, I was very competitive um, with a lot of the guys that went on to play. I, I hadn't had uh, achieved the opportunity to contribute in games where I was like part of the starting squad or anything like that. I was still, um, you know, in, in on the on the team that was giving the first string different defense looks. So we were the. You give them a lot. You were doing a lot of cheerleading in those days. <laughs> yeah, I was doing cheerleading on the sidelines during the games, um, but I was. Uh, you 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 got to play. You got to play the. Uh, you were doing almost like a civil war reenactment, and you were the you were the Confederates, right? You had to be the bad guys that they prepared against. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, long story short. Uh, you know, I had the you know Coach Pinkle was our head coach, and you know going into the spring that I got hurt, springtime and fall time are the times that you can kind of move up in the depth chart, right? The rest of the time is pretty much locked in place. Okay. Like the season, you got so. a small window to yeah. to show your stuff yeah. and and, and yeah. impress the powers that be. Yes. Yes. Show them you got the, the hunger. Yeah. Yeah. And well, they knew that they always knew when the if the hunger is there or not. They always knew my hunger was there. Uh, but Coach Pinkle, you know. I sat down with him going into spring of 2008 after we won the Cotton Bowl and we had four receivers graduate. I, I joke about it in my stand-up guys, but I kind of make myself out to be worse than I was for the sake of humor. It's not going to be as funny if I'm like up there talking about how good I was. Yeah, it's not going to be funny if you're like a championship player. I mean, people <laughs> want to know that you're yeah. just so the I'm... worst Division A football player in the entire country. <laughs> so, long story short, you know, Coach Pinkle was... You know, letting me know if I had a chance. This is really what people want to. What people want to imagine is you being Mr. Bean on the football field. <laughs> they want you to be bobbling well, why... the ball around, actually throwing your cleats and hitting somebody in the in, in the in the stands in the head. That's, <laughs> that's why my my stand up kind of makes I, I make myself look worse than I actually was in my stand up. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't get to see if you know. There's no guarantee I would have moved up but I was on my way right I was I was making plays you know um and and I got hurt uh, on the second day of spring football um so you know it took me out of the running it took me out of the opportunity to chase it right so um long story short there's no way to ever you know I don't look back and say oh I could have done this or if things would have gone right this could have happened because at the end of the day there's no way to know what would have happened I know that I put myself in the best opportunity possible um and, and I would worked and controlled the factors that I could and, and was very thankful for the opportunity. But, yeah, long story short. Um, so how did you injure? Was it during the, the locker room bukake? Uh, you, you it was in practice. I was hard. jumping up for a pass, and I, I overextended. It was probably a ball that I really shouldn't have tried to catch because it, it was way too high. And um, 
you know, I overextended trying to catch the ball, like not showing up, but you know, wanted to catch it. One, yeah, man, you make the, the, the coaches like to see that. I wanted, yeah, I wanted to make the miraculous play, right? Um, and and I had been making them, like I had the first day of spring ball, those I was, like, catches, diving catches, you know, um, you know, and 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 really kind of showcasing that, hey, man, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm. Give me a chance. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this right, and and you know it was one of those things where it was like a fluke, stupid deal where I jumped up, overextended, and landed on my knee, Ryan. <sighs> yeah, I felt a, a loud internal pop. If that oh makes man! Sense. Yeah. Don't. Uh, yeah. It was. Did you have to get surgery? No, they did an MRI on it, um, and I was out for eight weeks. Um, That'll do it. I didn't it. have to get surgery, but it, that's how long spring ball lasts. I got back, and I got to play in this final spring game that was on ESPN2. And, you know, they they were cool. The coaches threw me the ball a couple times. I had a couple, um, you know, touches on the ball or whatever. I think I've talked about it before. One of the things that resonates with me, I didn't know when I went out on the field that that would be my last time, you know? Sure. But I, uh, I remember when I was running out there, it was like, it was... 40,000 people or 20, maybe 20,000 people in the stands. Um, well, that, that shrunk fast. <laughs> well, as I go back and do the math, I think it is 20,000. It was 100,000 or 30,000. Well, it was four seats, people. It was my parents, stadium, okay? The, the and they, stadium, they weren't clapping. <laughs> the stadium seats like 60 or 65,000 or 70 if it's jam-packed um, and over capacity. Uh, and I remember one side of the stands was full that day, and, and I think the number that I heard was 20,000. Um, anyway, I heard people screaming my name, so there was people who were following me, right? And there were people screaming. I was I was running out on the field, and people were yelling, "Old Droid, go Old Droid, go Eureka!" Right? Well, my What's high school, you? my high school. So oh. There were people in the in the stands that knew who I was. You know what I mean? And I could hear it, and it was like, "Wow!" That I don't know why that stuck with me, but that did. Like for me, that was like kind of a goosebumpy feeling you know what I mean that, sure. that I wasn't a star and people knew who I was you know what I mean um, and they were cheering but weren't you me. a star I think people were rooting for me so I basically the movie Rudy was made about you <laughs> I've heard that before I've heard that before oh well, so, wow um, <laughs> I've heard that this is like a very Donald Trump moment you know, I, I I don't know, man. I mean, people may have said that Rudy was about other people, but no, I mean, it was, I've heard that it's about me. People are saying it's about me, and I'm trying to, despite the fact that it was uh, produced a decade before I ever no. played football, it's it's really. I think there is Wait, some. Wait, feel worse. I, Wait, trying. what? Why does it make you feel worse, <laughs> man? You you that's like you 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 were a star. In, in, in some definition of the word, in some definition. What do you mean? Then you ran out on the, the one of the largest Division A football fields <laughs> in America. You have twenty thousand people screaming your name. The hell else? What what is? What do you qualify as a star? Well, you gotta have. I mean, that's I, I. I appreciate that. That's a rare experience, man. That's awesome. Thank you for putting it into that perspective. Do you yeah. want to hear about my football experience yeah, now? To yeah, make, yeah. Just to give you a sense of scale. Okay, sure, man. Because I played, I, I played football, despite the fact that I can't even, I don't even know that it's Division One. I. I played football all through middle school and high school in Yellow Springs. Awesome. Our village of 4,000 people. So keep in mind this is in the middle of Ohio, which is 
football country, yeah, right? Yes. I mean, everybody eats, sleeps, and breathes football. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Yellow Springs, no. It was a little hippie village in which uh, we did not have a football team because everybody felt it was too violent. Oh. And all of the cool kids in our school, because this is reverse world, were in the drama uh Wow. We're involved with drama cool and played soccer. Yes, the coolest place. kids in our class played soccer and were in drama and, you know, hacky sack. And wow. so I being... So this is where it all looped. The snake loops back around and eats its own tail. I being the even more counterculture, you know, uh, maverick that I was, I wanted to play football, the forbidden fruit. <laughs> so I got together. We got 11 people together my uh, seventh year, this would have been like 1992, 93, yeah. my, my seventh grade year, and we got all of this, uh, 11 kids together, or maybe 12 it was, and we got a guy who said he would coach, and we like petitioned the school, and we got them to start a football team with 12, 12 kids on it, which if you don't know about football, that means we had to play both ways the entire game, no yes. substitutes, Yes. and uh, yeah, and then we started the football program in Yellow Springs, which then grew, you know, by the time I was in high school, we had, like, a full squad with, you know, maybe 30 people, and uh, it took us a few years to win our first game. I mean, we were terrible. Like, um, we would just get stomped on by everybody, but um, we won our, like, homecoming game. That was my star moment, was our homecoming game when I was probably a sophomore, junior, I can't remember. We won, and that was, like, insane moment where it was like the crowd was freaking out because we also nobody would come to watch because yeah. everybody in Yellow Springs was like Ugh, horrified yeah. by the fact we were playing football they're like yeah. oh, that's so violent uh, uh, why, why can't why, I, instead of instead of football why doesn't everybody play ultimate frisbee it's a game <laughs> in which when no one wins and everyone gets hugged <laughs> and you or better yet we can all write poetry together like that was very Yellow Springs so yeah that was uh, my experience. I was I was a starting defensive back the whole time, awesome. and uh, you know, I was uh, I, I got pretty good. Yeah. For I was terrible at catching. I'm like I had awful hands. That's why I was never a, a wideout. But I I'm good at open field tackling. So that was always my thing, and I got a lot of tackling because we never had size. So the middle linebackers or, or linebackers in general, we never could never field that position because yeah, nobody yeah. was ever big enough. So I ended up having to, as a defensive back, make most of the tackles yeah. as the uh, running backs would break, that's, break uh, from the line. But That's freaking awesome. Yeah, so you played weird... through your senior year? Yeah, I played. And then was your team, what, like, what was, uh, did you get more and more successful each year as a team? Or? Yeah, and then the year after I left was, um, uh, what did he call it? I was just talking to him. I went back to Yale Springs recently, and I was talking to the Mark Baker, buddy of mine, um, who was a year under me and he was uh i think he called it the dirty 30 was like the that year, the next year after i graduated they went like um undefeated or had some wow. amazing record so they really it was like the first winning season because my entire time until i graduated we never had a whenever uh, went over 500 i mean we were still terrible but like it, you 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 know it was small victories like the fact that we could field a team you know it was like little things and and um you know, winning a handful of games was great. And for me, like, getting a couple picks or, like, you know, yeah. having a game where I did well. You know, it was, like, very uh, – the victories were, were – uh, That's awesome. Hard fought. But, yeah, yeah it was that's... nothing like – I can't even imagine what it would be like to play in, uh, you know, Missouri 
stadium or whatever you guys because you know I went to Ohio State so yeah. I, I then saw what yeah, it was yeah, like yeah, to be yeah. I got the I got to experience what it was like to go to a football school and see the insane amount of people I mean because you talk about night and day yeah go Ohio State I was I was genuinely shocked because the thing about Yale Springs is it's a little bubble yeah that we don't really know what the rest of the world is like and then I got out of that and went to Ohio State because I intentionally went to Ohio State as the antithesis of Yale Springs you yeah know, it was 60,000 students so so my you know my graduating class was 35 people okay my wow. whole entire high school had 200 people then I went to Ohio State which has 60 had 60,000 people yeah. in it Jeez. and um, it only has like 33,000 a massive football program I yeah. mean obviously it's oh, yeah. very famous so uh yeah, that was a that was a that's, different experience as well. Did cool. not play for them. <laughs> I mean, they what they courted me and uh, offered me all kinds of stuff, but I was like, yeah, I think my football days are done. <laughs> now it's time to skateboard, drink, and not get laid. Yeah. <laughs> Did you join a fraternity or anything? In Fuck no. Or? For frat guys, I was the most anti frat. So I came in all shaggy haired, skateboarder, like hippie dude. I would go to. I remember I had female friends that would go to these frat parties and they'd call me and they'd like, oh, come to this party and I would show up and frat guys at the door but like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't belong here. And I'm like, well, no, my friends are inside. They're like, no, they're not. I'm like, yeah, yeah they really are. They're like, call them. If you call and this girl comes out to get you, maybe we'll let you in. Like, and I was so... Did it work? I, how it went was I like did not like frat guys and they didn't like me. And because uh, you know at Ohio Did you State, bother calling them when they said that, or yeah, yeah, I called them and they got me into the party. But I mean, I was humiliated at that point. I like didn't want to go in. I was like, I don't like these guys. I mean, I was just such a scrawny, you know, uh, hyper liberal like little dirt ball. And then you know, the, at Ohio State, the frat guys were just these real corn fed, you know, uh, young Republican. <laughs> you know, uh, blonde hair. Uh, hey, what's up, you guys? Going out tonight? Abercrombie. What? I mean, they were like all Abercrombie and Fitch models. White flip flops. That were oh yeah, and they and I was just so not that. I uh, I had a uh, I was kind of a friends with everyone in college, including uh, the frat guys. A lot of my friends were in frats, so I kind of got to see a, a unique lens. But yeah, it's it's tough if you're not. College can be clicky, obviously, right? And sure. if you're not, like, a part of I mean, that, that something that... Fraternities are literally sanctioned cliques. I mean, yeah. it's it's taking that to its almost I, absurd extreme where you're like, you have to fill out... You have to get membership to this clique. I, I didn't have... Uh, I didn't have... It took me a second to kind of get in with the fraternities. Uh, football, obviously. That probably helped. Helped immensely. And then stand-up comedy. Um, Helped you really? Yeah, stand up comedy did. Um, yeah, both of, both of the, together, football and stand up comedy. Well, well no, I want to hear how stand up comedy helps you how with a fraternity. Well, um, would you do shows at the frat parties? I would do jokes for the guys. Uh, yeah. I would do a lot of frat material. But uh, wait, when you say jokes, like you would, we're talking proper stand up, not just joking around with the dudes like yeah so I, I did I performed at Greek Week sorry uh, Greek Week is actually the biggest crowd I've ever performed in front of live about 1200 people holy was shit Greek Week and it was all fraternities and sororities and I did like 7-8 minutes of uh, frat material actually it's online so anyone can go google it if they want uh, on YouTube 
Um, but yeah, I did a bunch of frat material. My girlfriend in college was a sorority girl too. I'm trying to imagine what frat stand up material is like. Uh, yeah, maybe like butt chugging, and then some chick walks up, and uh, uh, you're like, oh. Yeah, well, this is my face. Look up here. Quit looking at my butthole. (laughs) I think I did something like, well, I had to do it clean because it was school sanctioned. And then at the comedy clubs, I would get dirty. Yeah. So I couldn't talk about like, you know, like really dirty stuff at that performance. But then I'd go to the comedy club and see like 375 to 400 people. And I get super dirty with with the frat material. I would impersonate frat guys. I wouldn't. I would put them down in an endearing way, to where I'm putting myself down to. I'm putting everybody down. So it wasn't like I was like out there like a, a hater or something like that. Well, was what's like, what's? Give me an example oh, of like a clean what, one. Yeah. Like shack sheets. Uh, do you know what shack sheets are? I have no idea. So the first time I ever saw shack sheets, I went to a fraternity, uh, and it was it was like a big open room, maybe a little bigger than this. And there would be, like, there was, like, three bunk beds, so six total beds. And then, like, very in a very tacky way, you would see, like, these bed sheets that were, like, stapled to the wall above them. And, like, it was like there were, like, like a king-sized bed sheet that would cover the entire bed so that you couldn't see it. Um, and it was, like, stapled to the wall and, the, like, makeshift Like stuff a privacy to- curtain. A privacy curtain, like a makeshift shitty privacy curtain. It was there's a term for it called shack sheets, and fraternities had that so that when you're bringing so you could jail in private. Or, yeah. Oh, so oh so, yeah, bringing so, girls back. I forgot. So yeah. it's, it's people had different colleges experiences yeah. than me. I, <laughs> well, I mean fraternities. The fraternities those are days. The cool That's kids. why I hated them, by yeah. the way. It's because I was like stupid frat guys yeah. and they're. <laughs> physical sexual relationships with, a, with beautiful consenting women. adults <laughs> and uh yeah so I made a joke that night where I said something like um I always wanted to be in a fraternity during my time at Mizzou uh but I wasn't uh in fact I wanted to be in a fraternity so bad that even though I lived by myself I had a bunk bed and I got shack sheets or something like alright I bunked my beds and when my mom came to visit she's like why do you She's like, why did you bunk your bed? Why do you have a bunk bed in here and you live by yourself? You know, so I'm not delivering it right. I have to look back and see it, the, the joke. But the gist is, it was ironic that, one, I had a bunk bed. I lived by myself, not in a fraternity. And two, why the hell do I have shack sheets if I live by myself? And why is my mom, like, wondering <laughs> what that is? And why I'm, why do I have to explain that? You know what I mean? Sure. So, just layers. Silly stuff. So right? wait, at that point, you weren't in college then? Uh... I think when I did that routine, I did I did it two years in a row. Oh, so, I see. So you were out. Um, actually, that's how. So the first year I did, I was like a senior in college, and I met my college girlfriend uh, through that. She saw me perform. Um, nice. She's you know she was a sorority girl, a young naive freshman. That <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. You know, was like who's that star performing in front of? Oh my god, you're people. stunning in front of twelve hundred people telling <laughs> jokes. I'm like, I know why you had shack sheets. <laughs> it was apparent to me. <laughs> so uh, the next year uh, that I performed, when I was talking about shack sheets, actually, that was the I was I had just graduated, so I stayed in Columbia for a year after college, actually. Probably because of her. She was still in school, and I was like, I don't want to leave, you know. So I, like, did the victory lap, right? Um, worked at a cookie shop for a year. 
some you worked at a cookie shop? Yeah, I worked at a cookie shop. Our, our friends... I'm sure your parents were like, whew, glad we uh, funded that education. <laughs> yeah. Well, I make fun of myself in the comedy routine that night, too. I was like, hey, is it weird that I'm back here doing a comedy act and I, I'm graduated? I wasn't even in a fraternity and, uh, you know, like, blah, 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 working at a cookie shop. Sounds know? like you're having some sort of existential crisis on stage. <laughs> well, that's what... Hey, it, guys, is it weird that, like, I am not doing anything with my life and I'm working <laughs> in a cookie store and every day I wake up and I look at myself and I'm like, what's going on, man? I'm, I don't even... I want to go back to college. Yeah, yeah. I did have an existential crisis. Uh, college was awesome. It, I went through my, my mid-age crisis then. I went through my middle age crisis as I was graduating because I had such a great time in college that I was like, man, I don't see how it could ever get better than this, you know? Sure. But I'm, I, I never had middle age crisis again. I already went through the, I already had my dip well, of depression. Maybe maybe you should, uh, shouldn't call that one until you're, uh, you, you become a middle aged man. Yeah. You're not, you're like, well, I've, I've uh, made it through that. I'm in a midlife crisis. And it's like, well, you're, you're 30 years old, man. You got to wait until you become middle-aged and then see if oh. you're do a crisis. Oh, I think I'm, I think I'm already, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I already went through it. I already, I know what to expect from here on out. You know, I'm, I'm either going to get married or I'm not and have some kids if I do. Uh, and, you know, continue to do comedy and maybe have my career or whatever, you know, and then, Play, uh, tear it up just avoid ponytails and you'll be all right don't get it don't get convertibles and don't get a ponytail. i don't need to relive my youth i already i already i already experienced everything that i possibly could that i wanted to you know so like I'm, jesus I'm, man yeah don't say that there's always more to experience well, in life as a kid though i don't need to go backwards to experience i'm looking forward does that make sense sure so my experience is that I've had in the past for that age group, I, I don't, I didn't like feel like I missed out on, on stuff. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I feel like looking forward, comedy for me is is the goal right now. You know, I, I I'm thankful. I, I have a good job that I that I enjoy that I do. But yeah, comedy is is the goal. And at some point, a, a woman will come into the picture, and there'll be some kids, and and then uh, I feel like that'll pretty much be a full life. Baby you know? steps. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not in a rush to get there. I'm focused on the comedy, you know. Sure. Um, and you know, continuing to be successful, you know, in my job. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, um, wow. We, we went. We went through a lot of stuff there, didn't we? We navigated some terrain. We did unexpectedly. Um, you want to keep going? How How long have we been doing it? An hour. How Are you long, good? How long do they usually go? Uh, sometimes an hour is a good stopping point. Um, I personally, I feel like if we are going to end, we might want to wrap it up rather than just abruptly end it. Um, okay. We did talk about China. Was there more that you wanted to share with the China experience? Oh, we didn't even talk about how you started a comedy club there. Man, I just... Are you tired? If if you're good, we can. I mean, we, uh, it's up to you, man. More I, can, I, can, I mean, it's, it's totally up to How you, do dude. Feel? I feel all right. You're good with, with anything, pretty much. Like whether we continue or stop. Yeah, hey, cool either way. It's up to you. I mean, you know what you want out of the podcast. I don't. So. I'd say. We talked about high school football. We talked about how we know each other through the lantern. We talked a little about 
we didn't talk about how tough it is necessarily in New York to be a comedian. But I would say if we're gonna talk about anything else, let's let's delve a little bit into let's delve into those two things. Let's delve into you know we'll, we'll the China comedy the, club thing can bleed into different. I mean, I can compare the two, right? Yeah. So I'll just start up talking about comedy again, I guess, and then we can let that bleed into the China stuff. We'll start with how tough it is here, and then and end. So. <coughs> So yeah, um, you know, comedy is, is, is the love, the passion. I'm, I'm on the same wavelength as you as far as we've both been doing it for a while and we're both out here making sacrifices. Uh, we're sledgehammering away at our dreams, pursuing our dreams, chasing them, however you want to say it. I, I like this stuff in, in your routine where you talk about chasing them. And well, that's, that's what we're doing. That's New York, you know. I mean, this is where you, you make the real gamble. You put it all on the table because other scenes are, I think New York is... Part of the reason people have so much respect for it and why it's a testament to... It, it, it's credible. It is a credit to be a comedian in New York because it is so difficult here, unlike anywhere else. And uh, I, I think everybody I've talked to, whether that be they started in Chicago or West Coast or in another country, like I got started in the Asia scene, You know, New York is just infinitely harder than all those places. Like, it's just, to make people laugh is difficult. And there's so much competition here that it just forces you to really sink or swim, you know, and, and, and to, and it's an environment in which you just, you have to get better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like if I had to make an evaluation, we're swimming right now. Sure. In my opinion, right? And we want to continue to get better, obviously, but... Well, we have, you know, the Lantern is, is a tremendous opportunity uh, that I think both of us obviously realize because stage time is, is, is very hard to get. Um, some people never make it out of the open mic scene, you know, and some of those open mics you're, you're paying to perform at. And um, with no audience. Yeah. You're with, paying for garbage open mics. Yeah, for, for terrible stage time where other comedians are looking at their phones, thinking about their set and they're not paying attention. We, we actually have real audiences that we perform for, right. um, and we're getting legit spots. Like, as far as the length of time, like, eight, ten-minute spots sometimes, even longer from some from time to time. It's like, that's that's valuable freaking stuff. And, well, and I, as a result, we, we can hone and develop new material. Of course, which is which is the, 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 the goal, right? If you're going to get better, you just need... I mean, comedy is all about just logging in the hours, right? I mean, you got to be getting up on stage for just so, so many... If you get any big comedian, I mean, they've done countless thousands of hours on stage. It's like flying or something, right? I mean, you just have to have those hours under your belt to develop your voice and, and uh, just become comfortable and you know workshop the material to have your your half hour special or your five minute Conan spot or whatever but yeah I think that's what people maybe don't know like the real I would say a big distinct difference between the New York scene and other scenes is that open mics at least in China you know where, where I started open mics have audience members when you go to an open mic it's legit stage time so you can if you want to start you start by going to open mics and it's what you want, you know, with a real audience, you have feedback for your jokes. Mm -hmm. If you tell a joke and people laugh, you know it's good. Yeah. But in New York, the open mics have nobody there. It's only other comedians who 
are not listening to jokes and who are the worst. They'll laugh at the, stuff that's not funny because right. they want to reinforce. They're a, they're a terrible litmus test for your your jokes because, yeah, they're they're not an accurate read. They'll laugh at things that are funny for comedians, not necessarily funny for audience members, or they're just not paying attention. It's brutal. I I, I am constantly uh, fascinated with people that started comedy here I cannot imagine it yeah. it would be such a soul crushing experience yeah uh, well I would never recommend starting stand up comedy in LA or New York I lived there yeah LA was uh, similar same you know like the open mic scene is, is, is horrendous you have to have some kind of an in somehow whether that's because you're good enough or somebody's gonna take you under their wing or people are gonna give you a chance to grow right and yeah. I think that's what the lantern is is it's an opportunity to grow Right. Let's not turn this into just uh let's not fillet the lantern for another hour. Oh, uh, no, I, the lantern's great. The lan <laughs> the lantern's wonderful. I'm just we're really uh what? Sorry. No no, I don't <laughs> I'm just I'm just playing around. I mean yeah. I think the lantern's great, but it's like Yeah. Um I mean it's not the end all be all of comedy. I mean it's wonderful. I'm I, I I'm super happy I found the lantern. Yeah. But it's still also Yeah. The background. Well you don't wanna bar. Like, you don't wanna start like uh I, you wouldn't want to, nobody would ever want to kind of be like, oh, now that I've, now that I'm doing regular spot of the lantern, I never want to go anywhere else. That's but, not the mindset. But that's almost, I think that's actually one of the pitfalls of the lanterns. You get so comfortable and then you're like, it, it, you get lazy. I mean, I just, I'm speaking from personal experience where like, because cause to get bar shows in New York, you got to hustle. You got to talk to people. You got to trade spots. You got to like constantly... You know, email people and they'll be like, oh yeah, I'll book you for like three months from now for a seven minute spot at this bar show, which that night may be totally empty. You know what I mean? And so then you get in the lantern and they give you, uh, you know, regular spots every month and then it's, you know, it's hard to still, to still, um, want to get out there and hustle. Yeah. I mean, I mean to, 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 to find the willpower to continue doing that because it is still important to do other rooms. Yes. Like for a while there I was only doing the lantern and then I did. Uh, this other room and it was like I was because when jilted. you're doing comedy you need yeah you're, I was jilted because with comedy you need to, to do one of the other good things about New York is it allows you to do a bunch of different rooms and so you get used to adapting because you you know for, so for example in Shanghai where I started I, for six years I did one almost like one single space the, the Kung Fu Comedy Club which is the club we started so when I came to New York, I was initially very uncomfortable because I'm you, you get used to just doing one stage. It's your home. It's like playing playing an away game, right? I mean, you get used to your home field, and you like it, and you're comfortable with that, and you play better there. And then suddenly you're forced to go somewhere else, and you're like, it's 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 a weird feeling. You're you're in foreign territory. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. So New York is good. Like you, you need that variety of rooms to yeah. to make you a better comedian. Do you feel like, uh, and, I, and I do want to talk about your experience in China doing comedy a little bit more in a sec, but do you feel like since you moved to New York that this very, this uh, diverse, uh, different locations to perform here in New York, you know, these different rooms, can you can you tell with all that experience since you moved to China that you've grown as a comedian? Do you feel like you have? Has you Since I came to New yeah, York, you mean? Yeah. For sure, yeah. I think it's, it's, I, n I never really did badly in Shanghai. I don't think I bombed but one time. Like, really bombed. 
Um, it was always successes, and I was... Even when you first started? Yeah. When wow. I first started, I was... I mean, this is all relative, by the way, but I was, you know, one of the better guys in our small group. I mean, we're talking a very, very small pond. I mean, you know, at that time, there was just us doing stand-up in Shanghai, a handful, like eight of us, and I was... You know, I mean, the audiences were happy to see us perform, and yeah, it was there was no there was no bombing. Everybody, our shows were great, and we all I just kind of took to it quickly. I was always a you know class clown or whatever, so it was pretty easy me for me to get into it, and and um, yeah, and then I came to New York, and boy oh boy, you you get used to bombing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the first I I got right off the plane full of confidence even being a Mr. Big Shot headliner in Shanghai and I went right to the creek in the cave you know uh, directly after landing like my buddy met me and was like let's go to this open mic let's do it and I was like yeah and I got up and just ate a ginormous dick right there on stage just did not do well and it was like it was I'm not I was not used to that it was very uncomfortable and very so yeah, I mean to have that is makes you you need to fail right to really grow. Yeah. I mean it was Shanghai was just not it's really a, a ceiling to how good you can get there because you're not getting that full robust comedy experience. Which the comedy diet is uh, I think really a big part of that food pyramid is a failure. You know it's one of the essential nutrients. <laughs> Being a comedian yeah. is you need to feel that that. Uh, deafening silence after throwing a joke out you know what I mean it teaches you to to hone your craft right for sure you you need to adjust when you need to evaluate okay what went wrong here tonight why did it not work if this set usually works and sometimes your instincts can tell you on stage sometimes other comedians you might ask them if they saw you and they know your stuff you can be like some just didn't feel right you know and then someone might be like oh well you didn't see before you got on stage that this happened Somebody was getting stabbed in the audience. <laughs> it happens all the time at the Lantern. A lot of yeah. stabbings. You know, the, why didn't that joke land? Yeah. And what were those uh, those torrents of blood flying everywhere? It was like, <laughs> what the hell? You know what's funny though? Uh, in addition to the, to the joke you're making, is I've learned that it's important if I have the ability to and the time and the patience to actually watch as much of the show before I go on stage as I can. The, I, the I, higher I, stakes of the show, the more important. I think of course, that investment. that's one of the terrible things about barking is I'm not allowed. Yeah. Not only do I want to watch the show, I want to get to know the comedians and do networking. Yeah. So barking sometimes sucks because you're out on the street and you don't get to. They'll just call you. They'll be like, "Oh, come out, come back. You're on in one minute." And you're like, "Well, I can't even." Uh, I'm exhausted too. I've been. Sure. Yeah. yeah because barking is in itself a performance. Yeah. So you're no, but I agree with you. It's like if you can watch the show and get a read on the room and feel the energy. I mean, that's invaluable, right? Yeah. A lot of times you can. And sometimes if you don't get that opportunity, maybe just watch a couple of minutes or the last couple of minutes of somebody's set that goes on right before you. And I've gotten a lot better at... You, you can come in with your own energy and your own point of view and just... You don't need to know anything that happened, right? That You can be just as successful doing that. But I like to surf, right? I like to surf the wave that exists. I like to catch the wave that's there. You know, obviously the MC brings me up, but... I want to catch the wave of what's already been going on and parlay that into my set. Cowabunga, dude. You know, and and it usually helps lubricate, you know, my relationship Ooh. with the audience. Ooh. You know, so. Yeah, just uh, 
slip it in, just the tip it first, and then <laughs> plunge your your jokes full in. Yeah. Well, get them, get them joke pregnant. Oh yeah, get them preggers, dude. Um, but yeah, so tell me, um, you know, you were you were a pioneer with your high school football team, which is awesome. Kind of pioneer, trailblazing. Trailblazing. I mean, you, you kind of helped. Uh, create the program there with your friends, you know, as kind of the first guys, and then... I introduced, I was instrumental in introducing uh, CTE to my school (laughs) in those days. There wasn't enough traumatic brain injury, and I said, you know what, guys, let's uh, let's get it going. Yeah, well, uh, I joke about that sometimes as well, Um, but, so you were kind of a pioneer there, but then you were also a pioneer in Shanghai. We haven't talked about it much, but I am curious, and I think everyone else would be curious to know how... Tell us a little bit about how you kind of started the comedy club out there and, and really created a great opportunity for yourself, you and, and, and uh, your buddy that were out Turner there. Turner Sparks. Yeah, you guys freaking created a platform for yourselves. You started a great thing for, for the community there so people could come see comedy. You guys started a club and it kind of like, you know, it gave you opportunities, you know, I'd love to hear... Well, it helped me find what I want to do in my life. I moved to New York because I want to do comedy as a career. So it was me discovering my my calling, as it were. So, yeah, I mean, it was very important for me. But, yeah, it was just, I was living out there. I had been living there probably already six years, um, not doing comedy. I was working, I worked in an office for a while as a sales guy in a, in a Japanese IT company and then I was wow. doing freelance illustration for a while yeah you're an artist I, 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 yeah that's awesome and I had talked to my cousin uh, back in Dayton and he had started doing improv so he mentioned improv to me and I just happened to be he put that in my mind and I came back and a guy I had met randomly at a dinner was like hey I'm starting an improv team do you want to join I was like, oh yeah. So improv, there were there were a couple people doing a little bit of improv in Shanghai at that point. So I, I we started a team and I started doing that. And then another and then I met another guy through improv who said he wanted to do stand up. By the way, can I? I want to hear. I want to pick up right where you're about to go in one second. But I I actually auditioned for the Asian American improv group here in New York because I'm part Asian. Yeah. Um, I didn't end up uh, following through with that just because I don't I don't think I had. For whatever reason, it was you know, uh, some other stuff came up, but I, I was interested, and I thought that was cool, so I didn't know you did improv. So you've never done improv before? Well, I, I take stuff at UCB, and I've oh, done okay. classes in the past, so yeah, improv, for the sake of building the skill set. Sure. Improv. I actually like improv more than stand-up, really? and I would prefer to do it, but... Well, let's. Well, we were improving earlier when we were doing the voices. Yeah, I like uh, that way better. I hate writing jokes, and, and I, and unfortunately... Improv is so difficult to get into in New York. You know, you go through all... I don't have the money for the used to be classes and... Let's chat about it. You know, we don't have to chat right now, but... um, Well, that was how... That was my first intro into comedy. And it wasn't until a guy came up and said he wanted to do stand-up that we... There was no stand-up in Shanghai at that point. None. So, we said, well, let's uh, let's do it. My buddy Andy, who, who now owns the club, said... He found a bar. It was actually the bar we were doing improv at, our, our shows. And he said the guy offered a month from that point to let us do a show. So it was probably six of us, I believe, or seven, who agreed to do it. Some of us that were doing improv, others were just randos. And uh, we said, 
cool, in one month we'll meet and we'll do a show here. Everybody get to writing. So we all went our respective ways. And, you know, I'd always wanted to do stand-up, but you, you need you to have the fire under your ass, to have a deadline, to be like, we're doing a yeah. show on this day. Suddenly you, you find yourself actually yeah. putting pen to paper yeah. instead of being like, well, one day I want to do stand-up. Yeah. yeah, you do need the pressure. So that was... That was it, and then we we all met like a couple days before the show and did a our practice. little practice run where we all did it in front of each other. And at that point, I think with most stand up comedians, most people who start doing comedy, you'll find yourself channeling your favorite comedian, right? You'll just you're emulating something. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have your own voice yet. So yeah. I remember yeah. like I was very like Chris Rock. Yeah. And I was like, women cannot go back in lifestyle. No, I didn't. I didn't do Chris Rock jokes. I had my own. Yeah. Mine was more like, you know, uh, Chinese bus drivers be crazy. But I, um, so yeah, we, we just started doing it at that point. And it was just a collective. We'd meet once a month and it was, we'd all perform and uh, the, the shows were free and it was just kind of a, communi- a community thing. And then after that was, you know, the scene grew and our club or at that point our collective Kung Fu comedy we called ourselves grew and then Andy started bringing over headliners from America you know started flying over pros and then costs were involved so then he took it over as a business and um, we were we were working with a bar there for a while and then drama ensued and then we went to another place and then he he uh, well two years ago finally opened the actual club, a full-time comedy club. Kung Fu Comedy, it's called. And, yeah, I mean, they're still bringing over big headliners. They just recently brought over um, Eddie Izzard and Russell Howard and, you know, big theater acts and stuff. So it's it's going really well, and it's a it's a proper brand, and we now do Kung Fu Comedy in New York. So, so if that initial class of people, myself and this guy Turner Sparks, um, who... It turns out both had decided to move to New York at the same time, independent of each other. We decided this. And we had both actually been living in China for 12 years, both of us. And so we moved here together, and then, like, we've been helping each other out. We started Kung Fu Comedy in New York. Awesome. So that's the brief, that's the Cliff Notes yeah. version. But No, I, it's freaking awesome. I remember when I met Turner, or at least had the... I, I talked to him in depth before you and I had an in-depth conversation. I don't know if I met him before you or not, but at the Greenwich Village Comedy Club. And I remember when he was telling me about how he and some friends kind of started a comedy club in China, and he was going into the details that you just shared, and how that really helped him get a, a shoehorn into the business. And, you know, people were, I think at one point you guys had, like, some agents that were like, hey, look, I have some guys that would love to perform with you. Here's my roster of people or things like that. It's like all of a sudden you guys are kind of in the business, you know, and uh, I think that's a great testament to kind of starting your own thing, you know, in, in the world of comedy. I think that's true. Sure. Um, and you got, like you said, you have shows here in New York, um, something that I, I've been wanting to do myself. Uh, so I think it's, it's really cool. I always like that entrepreneurial uh, spirit. Well, know? I mean, in New York, as it was in Shanghai, I mean, it's really, you just kind of have to get out there and do it yourself. Like, trying to, as we were saying, get booked here so hard. So it's like to get in, up at New York Comedy Club, we just started our own show there. And now... Do they book you for other stuff there? Ever? Not so far. Yeah. It's very difficult. I mean, it's... Do you know Andrew... Well, I don't want to call him out. 
on my podcast, so everyone's already all of a sudden hitting this person up. I'm not going to say it. Okay. Yeah. Probably not, but... Um, we'll talk about it. It's we'll comedy clubs in New York are just... You have to get past there, and it, the, the line of people to get on is so incredibly hard. You really need to have TV credits before you start getting booked regularly at clubs. Or if you're at the stand, you got to be managed by them. I, uh, I auditioned last night for the comic strip. Oh, nice. Um, it went well. Um, guys, you know, this goes right in line with what he just said as far as auditioning for the club. Uh, you know, for the comic strip, like, the audition comes around, like, opportunity comes around, like, once a year for people. Uh, it went really well. He didn't, uh, the guy who evaluated me has been in the business, like, 42 years. He audi- I auditioned for him, like, a year and a half ago. Um, and the feedback he gave me this time was, was much more improved. I also, the first time I auditioned, I got off stage going, hmm, I wonder, I don't know if he'll pass me or not. Uh, yesterday, when I got off stage, I felt like I wouldn't be surprised if he passes me. But I didn't expect it to because it's still a subjective opinion. Um, I got up there, I felt like I was hitting the jokes. The audience was responding to it. It was a decent-sized audience. First time I auditioned, the audience was a lot smaller, so I didn't have a ton of energy to, like, build and really matriculate I don't know. let it let it matriculate I don't know if that's the right word anyway I felt like I hit my set hard I did what I I set a plan with my material and I executed on it right and it had a flow to it it wasn't just random a random compilation of jokes like the first time that I it wasn't a random series of sounds <laughs> the first time you get up there you're like, like ooh this well, is avant-garde well, I love yeah, it the, the first time that I performed there when I got off stage he's like I think your jokes are good, but I don't get what you're going for, right? Because I don't think he... You're like, I'm going for laughs. Yeah. Oh, really? Because I, yeah. I didn't seem so on stage. Well, well I think he, he got that. He got that I was goofy. I kind of told him, like, I, I, I like being goofy or whatever, but I don't think that I had, like, a, a clear voice or... I don't think anyone could get to know me from that set, right? It was kind of just a, a, a collection You weren't of, letting him in, in here, no, into your heart? Really. So yesterday I kind of... I opened up more for the audition who is Michael's brother yeah um, and I got off stage I felt like every single person it felt like I mean let me not say Eric when people were walking out people were looking at me saying great job chicks right? were flashing their tits the yeah. guys were like I want to be you yeah they were they were buying black rim Ray-Ban glasses and yeah uh, putting their hats backwards they were like I want to be Mike I want to be <laughs> like Mike yeah uh, that's hilarious. But um, long story short, we, we, he gave me some good feedback. He had one piece of constructive criticism, which is he, he does feel like my material itself can still be stronger. You know, he thought my stage presence was great. He can tell that I love doing comedy. He can tell I've been doing it for a while. This yeah. is last night? Yeah. Uh, he asked me where I've done it. I said, everywhere. You know, I've sacrificed a bunch of this. I've been doing 11 years. I've performed and lived in L.A., you know, Missouri, New York, all this stuff. And he's like... He's like, he didn't say you're rejected. He didn't say you're past. He's like, I'll watch you again. You know, like, he's like, I'd, I'll watch you again. Um, meaning that he he didn't see enough to pass me fully, but he didn't see enough to be like, no, next, good luck next year. You know? So he's, I'm he like, You didn't well, take when? your dream and crush it on your well, shoe? like last time. Last time he, he actually, I actually quit for a little bit after the first time I auditioned from him Be- when, when I got rejected you know I dude quit. I would not comedy clubs here well, if you're not it doesn't matter they have 
there's hundreds of comedians. It don't matter if you're good or not. I, I, I just wouldn't expect these clubs to just pass you right away. Yeah. Like, that's just not how... There's, like, months and yeah. months of, of of backlog of, like... I I've mean, heard some, Yeah, so... I don't think it's... So he, don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah, well, I, I definitely... And I did what I can control, and I do agree with him that my material can be better. Um, I feel like we're all works in progress, and, yeah, writing has never really been my strongest suit for him. So anyway... I was like, when can Yo, I do, do improv with like me, man. In the next couple of weeks or something. I don't know if that'll come through, but hopefully. That's why improv's so good. You yeah. show up. I mean, you practice a lot, but you, you know, obviously you have to get the, the sharpen the blade, but it's like work the muscle. But oh, man, it's improv's like, it's all about discovery. You know, you're on stage and you're having fun because you're, you're, you're exploring things and discovering funny things at that moment. moment. Well, I'm up for, uh, you know, if there's a couple guys or whatever slash guys and girls that uh, that we I mean I can't teach with. no that you want to like actually I'm not like, Yoda man no I, I know I know I'm three feet tall and green no, I'm saying I'm not Yoda like work on stuff or like even like get a makeshift troop going or something I'm sorry but you are <laughs> and I am uh, all the seasoned samurai <laughs> This is his way of uh, saying he doesn't want to be in an intro- improv troupe with me, guys. No, thank you. No, thank you. My God, all the right design. No, no, thank you. Awesome. Uh, I love it, man. I've had fun, and we're coming up right on an hour and a half, which is probably a good breaking point, considering... Thanks for having me, bro. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Everybody yeah. should come to the Lantern and... Uh, Check us out. See you, first of all. Wow. Because uh, you're... You know, you may be leaving the lantern soon. Go to the comic strip. Apparently, <laughs> don't leave us, Michael. Great, no, I will miss you. I definitely, and I love, I love the lantern. You guys are awesome. Cool. Lantern's we're gonna, great. We're gonna continue to infiltrate the city. You know. Yeah, man, little by little. Yeah. So freaking. You'd be hearing, you'd be hearing uh, both of our names. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, guys, thanks for listening. I hope you have a great week, and uh, until next time. Um, my my social media is close shave by the way thanks for asking <laughs> yeah close shave close yeah. shave on Twitter and Instagram and <laughs> JoeShaferComedy.com I like how you that was smart I like how I didn't think to do that and you like really uh, that's good uh, guys Joe Schaefer S C H A E F E R that's why I'm doing this bro for the grams yeah well also Schaefer I'll say this while I'm wrapping up I like the last. Your last name is Schaefer, and one of my best friends growing up, his last name is Schaefering. He's been a guest on this podcast. Tyler Schaefering is his name. Shout out to him. We're brothers. Uh, yeah. We're I mean, you told brothers. Me, you told me what Schaefer means. It means shepherd, too. So I feel like Schaefering means shepherding. You know, so. Yeah. Um, and it's German. Shepherd. Shepherd home? I gotta go home and shepherd. <laughs> yeah. Um... Awesome guy as well. But is there anything else that you wanted to shout out? I know you got peace and love, everybody. One love, love all listeners. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I outro. Love I love you guys too. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks as always, guys. Um, stay horny. Peace. Stay horny. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. By the way, am I the only one who's horny? Holy dolphin. Holy dolphin.